Welcome to Investors Gallery. My name is Presley. I am uh, one of the principals in Dimensional Capital Partners. I think this is our 13th or 14th uh, recorded episode. And that's the first time I've said that. Shame on me. <laughs> I need to plug my, plug my company a lot more. Um, it's attached to everything else. So well, again, welcome to Investors Gallery. Um, we are in my quote-unquote art gallery. The art gallery is actually on the other side of the wall. And if, you're, if you've listened to this before, one day I'll finish it. Um, we were uh, able to have a chance to shoot another episode in a real-life art gallery, so maybe we'll do that again. But I have a very special guest again on this week. Um, her name is Angel, and I keep wanting to call her Angela, and I fight it so much. I don't know why, but her name is Angel, which is... Uh, way more awesome than Angela, but I'm excited to uh, meet with you. I've been waiting for a month, month and a half, and the anticipation has been building up. So now that you're here and you've blessed us, um, introduce yourself and tell us about yourself. Hi, uh, my name is Angel Williams. Uh, I live in North Texas, but not DFW. Um, I kind of have to make that <laughs> distinction because most of the time when you say North Texas, you're like, oh, you live in DFW? No, I don't. Um, I actually live in Wichita Falls. If you're looking at the map and you're looking at DFW, it's like two hours to the left and up a little bit, maybe 20 minutes from the Oklahoma border. Um, if you're military, it's Shepard Air Force Base. Um, if you're not military, it's two hours to the left and up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, my husband and I um, were in this together. His last day at his W-2 was June 30th. He moved from a W-2 to a 1099. Yes, congratulations to him. Um, he's still consulting, but he is really focusing on his underwriting business and um, really finding some more deals for us and helping those around us to help, helping those around us to find their deals too and make sure that they're good deals. So um, just a little bit about me and him. We both grew up in families that invested in real estate, um, residential real estate specifically. And then um, we decided when we bought our first house in, gosh, I guess it was 2003, um, we didn't even talk about it or anything, but when we left in 2007, that was our first rental. Um, and it was really cool because it was like, we didn't talk about it. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't fight about it. We didn't discuss it. We just, as we were moving, we started looking for someone that could fix it up. Cause you know, when you're doing that make ready, it's better than the way it was ever was when you were living in it. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like we, we dealt with the fact that the tub in our bathroom didn't work. But when we did the make ready, that tub had to work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was um, that was really our foray into renting. And it was with that first house. And then um, the first renter was actually horrendous. Um, skipped in the middle of the night, left all her stuff behind. Um, and I, I think it was the fact that we had grown up in the families that we grew up in, that that was the reason why we didn't turn and run. Instead, it was, okay, how much is it going to cost to get our stuff removed? How long do we have to wait? What's the rule? You know, what, what do we have to do? And let's get another renter in there. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a full-on make ready. It was like 500 bucks to get all her stuff out and, and to clean it up and get it ready for the next person. So it wasn't horrendous. Um, but I felt like looking back on it, I think I look back and I'm like, man, we had a lot of fortitude for a couple of kids that had never owned any property. Because in 2007, let's see, Jason was... I don't even know. <laughs> How old was Jason? 26, 27? And then I would have been like 28-ish. 
So we were, we were young and wow, yeah. our first experience was horrible and we just kept going and um, came to Wichita Falls and we've been here for 15 years. We've got four single families here. And then we've got a little bit in, we still got that single in Lubbock. We've got um, another single in Gatesville and then some residential multi in Waco. And like, we've just kind of grown that over the past two decades. And then we got our first multifamily syndication across the line in December of 2021. I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> let's, let's start with um, the getting to know you in multifamily. I always like to know, you know, in our, in our space, in the multifamily space, uh, we call it the zero to one. The first okay. deal is the biggest, most exciting, by far the most difficult. Tell us about your, your, your zero, which will be your single family to your multifamily transition. How did that work and how big was your first multifamily? All right. So um, we, we got into, we started getting interested in multifamily probably, well, it was really Jason. Jason got interested in multifamily probably about 2017 and he found an event in Grapevine. And it was a Memphis Invest event. And we went there and Joe Fairless was one of the speakers. Mm. And so we talked to Joe Fairless a little bit. And at that point in time, so this is about 2017, he had about 58 or 59 million in assets under management. By the way, he currently has 2 billion in assets under management, five years. Yep. <laughs> um, so we met him and turned out he went to Texas Tech. Jason went to Texas Tech. They were there at the same time. They didn't know each other. But it was like this kind of little bond they had. And we talked about getting into his program then. And I was like, oh, it's so expensive. We can't do that. Um, we, should, we should find a different program. And so my first word of advice is once you find a program that you want to get into and that you feel is a good fit, you do whatever it takes. Sell some clothes, sell some furniture, <laughs> go DoorDash, do whatever it takes. Because in the, at the end of it, even if you go with someone else first, you're always going to want to have gone with the first person that your gut told you was the right person. And so like a year and a half later at a much larger price, uh, you, <laughs> with a much larger you, price tag. Do you feel comfortable <laughs> disclosing that? And the reason why I'm asking is because one, we have a coaching program, but not even specific to ours. I talk to a lot of individuals who the number scares them that I'm like, we, our program offers probably the most, if not amongst the top five, but everybody's program is expensive, but we're teaching you how to make a lot of money. So if only if you feel comfortable, do you want so to I'm actually, I've signed, um, I've signed documents where I cannot oh, um, okay. I can tell you this, um, in the last four years, we've spent over six figures in coaching mm. and Joe and is not a was it coach. worth it. Absolutely. I know it was. I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> I had to pull it out of you. <laughs> I mean, our net worth tripled. In what time span? And, well, three, four years. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not so much, it's not even so much just the education. It's that you get included into circles that you wouldn't have been able to get into on your own in that amount of time. Yeah. That that's really what it was for us. And that's how I feel it was for me personally, because I, I mean, I was in a sorority when I was in college. I mean, I kind of used to buying friends. Um, 
that was meant to be funny. Um, but anyway, it, it's it's not even that. It's just that when when you buy into a program, everybody else that's in that coaching program and everybody else that knows about it, all of a sudden, not that you're equal with them, but you're willing to put in as much as them. Mm-hmm. And so then it's more of a, like a colleague situation. These are my peers. These are my colleagues, not Oh, you're just getting started. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it's not that people say that people don't really say that, but they're like, oh, you're getting started. Great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people are really helpful. They really, they really do want to help you. But like when, when we found our deal and we started going, it was hard. Um, Jason and I had a hundred thousand that went hard day one. Um, but better than they that, we, exist. <laughs> we, we borrowed it from Jason's mom. Smart. Um, not so be really. careful. The, the attorney is on, is on the call is on the zoom too. So you gotta, <laughs> and you know, it's okay. As long as you did a, uh, sec filing, but we'll, we'll leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> you can just cut that out. Yeah. We, just, um, we did it as a promissory note. That's, that's all. <laughs> well, really she was okay. So Jason's dad passed away. And I think that the reason why she was hesitant to invest was because her and Steve used to invest together Mm. and Steve isn't here anymore. And I think that it's hard for her to invest without him. Mm -hmm. So I think it was a way for her to invest in the deal without saying I'm investing in the deal. Right. So, and, and, I don't know what all the other stuff is that goes along with that, but that's what my heart tells me. So we had that hundred thousand that went hard and we lost our first GP team. We lost our second GP team. We had to build a third GP team to get it across the finish line. Yeah, because it, it was, so getting a loan is hard. It's just tough. Um, we couldn't get a KP accepted. Why and is that? I don't know. All the we brought three different KPs to the table, and none of them met the requirements. Oh, okay. Um, and then at the end, it was like, okay, what if Joe Fearless is the KP? And it was like, oh, we don't even know if he would qualify. And at that point, I was like, I'm done chasing agency. And so it wasn't yeah. so if Joe would qualify. Joe. I mean, you said at the time he had uh, roughly 60 million. Oh, no, no. This was in December. He was already over. Oh, no. I would have hung up the phone. Like, you just don't want my business. Two billion in the management. (laughs) Well, but this this is the thing. I think that every year there are buckets that they can give loans from. And we were a small balance loan in a very small market. And I think the bucket was empty. It was the end of the year. Okay. But rather than which I don't understand why people aren't just transparent. It would make business so much easier. Yeah. Well, um, but instead of being, yeah, instead of being super transparent, it's like, oh no, you're going to have to do this now. Oh no, you're going to have to do this now. And so when they said they wouldn't accept Joe, I'm just like, we're out. Um, we're mm-hmm. not, we're not going to keep chasing agency. And we actually, um, that was when the second team dissolved and Jason comes home from work one day and he's like, man, I'm just, I'm glad that you're not drunk already. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're just still asleep. I was, it was like afternoon and I was still in bed because I was like, we're about to lose a hundred thousand dollars. 
Um, and so he's like, okay, we're going to make a list. Oh, family's and, money at that. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm. And so <laughs> we had, we made a list of, it was about 35 people. And I really thought we would get help in the first five. And then it was, hey, we're going to get help in the first 10. Well, maybe we'll get help in the next one. Maybe the next one. But it was actually call 14. Um, or 13, I forget. Maybe 16. <laughs> it's been a bit now. But it was um, Agostino Pentis that he said, okay, look. He's like, this is, this is, you know, basically he was angry. Because he was frustrated that, you know, we were in this coaching program. And we're doing all these things that are right. And everything is working against us. And he was like, okay, you need to call and find out what's going on. I was like, I would love for you to call and find out what's going on. And so then a few hours later, he calls back and he's like, okay, um, so you're going to go with Lima one. I'm like what? <laughs> and he was like, Lima one. It's like, I did it once, told myself I'd never do it again. Did it twice, told myself I'd do, never do it again. And I imagine the third time's probably eventually going to come around. <laughs> um, and so we wound up going with a product from Lima one. It was a bridge loan. And because it was an agency, we didn't have the same kind of requirements on it. Mm -hmm, and so Jason, uh -huh. yeah. So Jason and I and our friend Frank were able to qualify for the loan through net worth and liquidity. And so that means that basically Jason and I were the leads of our own first deal. Wow. <laughs> so most the people who are the people who are syndicators understand how big that is, but the people who are watching this either for entertainment or to learn the i don't think they will fully grasp not having a kp in a deal and heading your first deal multifamily i actually i've never heard that before now that i think about it yeah. well wow. yeah, I mean, frank had been in some stuff before um we did have 20 years experience in residential but when you go to commercial nobody cares about that right yeah no it's different yeah it, it you've been preaching nothing. all day <laughs> <laughs> no it means nothing um and so it was just it was it was hard and when I called Frank which is Frank Padalano and he's another fellow teacher um we became friends because we were both he, he used to teach middle school history I was teaching middle school writing and English language arts and had a rough time <laughs> I could not stand my my admin it was rough um and that was how we became friends but I called him up and I'm like, hey, so you were gonna, you know, kind of help us out. What do you think about being on the GP team, like fully on the GP team? He's like, okay. <laughs> and so he came on and then another friend of mine, Mike Cordray, um, we actually met, uh, Megan Lamke introduced us and then Gail McCarthy came on. So it was Frank Petalano, us, Mike Cordray and Gail McCarthy. Um, Frank's experience has kind of been residential. Some of the small multifamily he gp'd a, a couple of bigger deals um but not in like super active roles that kind of really led the boat um but it was enough because we had the net worth and the liquidity to be to go ahead and be able to, to sign the loan and then the way we split up the gp um we wound up with all of us being signers on it so um and like when i talk to other people they're like wait how in the world did you get investors on a deal when you with no experience was the lead? <laughs> like, and honestly, when I think about it, it was really having something like this. Mm -hmm. It was being seen and heard and just networking. And 
I mean, we started investing passively in the space in 2000, I guess, 18, 19. And so we were in the space. We just had never gone active side. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, a lot of things you'll hear is you'll hear things like, oh, you know, other syndicators aren't going to invest in your deal. Well, 70% of our investors are active syndicators. Mm -hmm. And so you really. A good return is a good return. Yeah. And, and when people, when people say things like that, it's more because maybe that was their personal experience. Yeah. Um, we, we had a couple of people that other syndicators that saw us struggling and I'm vocal because how do I deal with crap? I talk about it (laughs) and I've got a meetup on Mondays and everybody that was at a meetup on Mondays, they heard everything that was going wrong (laughs) because I just, man, it's me and Kimberly McCall were talking the other day and you hear people say anybody can do it. And when you hear it, it sounds like everybody could do it, but that's not the reality at all. Anybody could do it, but everybody cannot do it. Right. And so I think there needs to be that distinction there because when things start falling apart, you're like, crap, if, if anybody can do this, why can't I do it? Everybody's better than me. That's why I can't do this. And you can really come down on yourself. Yeah. But, but that's just not the reality. It's if everybody could do it, everybody would be doing it. Yeah. No, anybody can do it. Everybody cannot do it. Right. So I just think that that's a really that's a bumper sticker. You're gonna <laughs> be on all my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's an important distinction because I mean I'm I'm real hard on myself, mm-hmm. and I'm the kind of person that when I'm down, I'm just gonna keep kicking. Um, I I don't let up on myself, and so the reason why Jason when he came out he's like, man, I'm just glad you're still asleep is because when when I do something big, if I don't keep going after it. Mm-hmm. I fall mm-hmm. and I'll stay in bed for seven days, you know, mm-hmm. sit five to seven days and not get up and just do nothing. And Jason's like, man, you kind of smell like, can you go take a shower or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm just, I, I get so, because I'm so high and I'm so hyped up and everything mm-hmm. is awesome. And then all of a sudden it's over. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you just really have to back it up with more stuff. You can't, you can't take your foot off the gas pedal. Yeah. So, so tell and, us uh, about how big was the first deal? Uh, 72 it's, units. 72. That's, that's really good for a first deal. Um, well, it's, but it's 15 minutes from my house. Oh, that's even better. I think that's an, that's an important distinction. It's super mm-hmm. close to my house. Okay. So for, and for those who are listening, that is one of the big requirements from lenders is they want you to have proximity to the deal. And sometimes that can be with property management, but it really helps if it's you and, you know, not the property management or maybe both. So that, that's amazing. Who, who had what role in the final uh, GP team? Um. So it's kind of different. (laughs) Um, My husband is a very, very strong underwriter. Um, Mm -hmm. He had his doctorate in chemical engineering when he was 26. Um, He almost had a degree in computer science. Like it's just kind of his thing. Numbers are his thing. Spreadsheets are his thing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
he actually coded our whole underwriting spreadsheet. It's proprietary. Mm-hmm. Nobody else has one like it. it it's ours. Mm-hmm. And when someone comes to him, because his company is second set of eyes, and when they come to him, you know, he can look at their numbers in their model, or he can take their numbers and put them in his model and let them know how it compares. He can, you know, there's, there's a slide to it, right? Or he can come on as your underwriter as a part of the GP team. Um, so there, there's a whole slide there on, on where he falls out. But mm-hmm. for our own team, he's underwriting. And then we play a large role in the asset management because we're so close, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as for me, I have kind of a non-traditional role. And I say that because it's, this is kind of my role. This is what I do. I, I meet people. I talk. Um, I go on podcasts. I, mm-hmm. I go to places and just get to have fun. Really, I mean, that's the relations. <laughs> yeah, this is this is what I do. It's um, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not just investors, mm-hmm. and that's kind of another kind of slant on it. Is I have relationships with vendors. I have relationship with property managers, co- property management companies. Um, I've got relationships with like every. T- I talk to everybody. And like, if I'm, if I'm somewhere and somebody's like, oh yeah, you know, I work maintenance at XYZ. I'm like, oh, are you HVAC yeah. certified? Yeah. <laughs> are you looking for a side gig? Right. right. <laughs> and so it's more than, it's more than just the investors relation, the investor relations piece of it. It's that I talk to everybody. So and you're the face. Yeah. Well, I, just, I think it's maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but it's just like, I love talking to people and it's one of my goals to remember just something different about that person. Mm-hmm. So that when I see them later on, and I'm really bad with faces. So I love conferences where they have name tags because I can read their names. <laughs> but, it, and it's not like, I used to tell my students, I'm like, baby, it's not because I don't love you. It's because I suck at faces. <laughs> it's going to take me six weeks to remember your face, sweetheart. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it's not just kids, it's everybody. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I don't see, if I don't see distinct lines or I don't know, but I'll remember your name. I'll remember mm-hmm. like places you like to go out to eat. I might remember what you were wearing the first time I met you. Association. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've just, I take things when I meet people and instead of learning something totally new, I find something in my head that relates to it and I stack the new stuff on it mm-hmm. so that it's easier to find later. Mm-hmm. And I take fossil serine. That, that is actually how um, the, the people who have, uh, that, that enter into the memory contest, that's how they members remember um, things. That's how they remember like thousands or hundreds of different items. It's, it's I'm a nerd, so I don't, <laughs> I'll take you down a rabbit trail, but yeah, it's, it's through association. Usually yeah, through now I, I, mean, I can't do that, but I can remember. It takes practice. It just takes practice. Well, I, but I can remember like what I saw on my Facebook feed I don't know, six months ago. Mm. And sometimes I can remember how people responded to your post and who said what. I might remember if there were numbers in it. Um, It's just weird stuff. So your husband was, uh, or is the underwriter. Mm -hmm. You are, just to give a name to it, uh, the face of me. Well, I I am the C, what is it? The, I'm the CRO, Chief Relationships Officer. Okay. And I'm like thinking about what is it in my head? <laughs> there's three other people on the GP. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what are they their roles? Um, if I think about it in terms of like how Matt Faircloth does it, um, mm-hmm. Gail's kind of, well, Gail and Mike are kind of both the hammer. 
Um, but the reason why Mike is really good at it is Mike's a PMP. So he is a project manager by training. Mm. And I tried, so when it started out, I was trying real hard to run those asset management meetings. And I felt <laughs> like I was back in the classroom. I was getting onto a kid and everybody else was averting their eyes. Only these were grownups. <laughs> and it made me so uncomfortable. And I called up Mike one day. I was like, Mike, you are a PMP. And I feel like asset management is like any other project. And this, I think this is something that you could do and you could do really, really well. Mm. And Mike had never owned a property before, but I felt like his PMP training would really help him rise to the top. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and he took it on and it has been really, really great. Um, Gail is really good at having those hard conversations with people that nobody else wants to have. Um, she's really, really good at that. And Frank is just really great at motivating everybody. <laughs> and, and he asks, he knows the right questions to ask too, just okay. to make sure that we're taking care of things and following back up on things that we needed to remember that maybe fell through the cracks. And mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily traditional roles, but everything is covered. Yeah, and it, like the, the money, the hammer, the brains, everything is covered. Just it's a little bit spread around because it's just a different kind of setup. How has um, your life and the management of your assets changed from doing single family to multifamily? Oh, um, it's just different. Um, it is very different. <laughs> so in single family, like we thought we were passive. First of all, that that's kind of funny. Um, we thought we were passive in single family and in residential because we had property managers and it really helped me see that there is a huge variance in people's ideas on what passive is. Mm -hmm. Because when we went from, well, we didn't move from, but when we were only knew about the residential passive, we were like, oh yeah, we're passive investors. Then we became LPs and it was like, we don't have any phone calls. <laughs> yeah. And Jason's like, one day he's like, hey, we just got money in the account. And I was like, <laughs> shut the front door. That's what passive is. Yes, that's true passive. That was what passive is. And we were like, so we're going to come back into it. We're going to come into an active role but we're not going to be managing the, the asset ourselves. So it's going to be kind of like using a property manager. It's going to be kind of similar to residential, but it's not. And <laughs> my biggest issue has been multifamily. There's like this big lag. So like on a single family, if a roof has a leak, you call me, I call insurance, we get it fixed. Right. In multifamily, if a roof has a leak, You've got to find the vendor. You've got to find this. You've got to find that. 30 days later, maybe there's a patch on the roof now, but we're trying to see if it's covered <laughs> by the warranty and who's going to get a hold of the person that it's covered by the warranty for. And it's, it's like, mm -hmm. it, it feels super slow. And I don't, approaches. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I don't know if it's just in my head or if it's truly that much slower. And part, part of the reason is because in my mind, it's, when you're buying an apartment complex, you're not just buying the four walls, right? You're buying the business that runs 
the multiple four walls that multiple families and households are going to be living in. Mm-hmm. And so you've got, you know, all of a sudden you have a whole staff and you've got payroll and you've got maintenance costs. You've got all these expenses that are stacked on top of what would normally be associated with that single family home, right? So there's just more moving parts and it's not just adding zeros. Um, yes, you do add zeros, but that's only like this small little piece of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I haven't flipped out on anybody for saying, oh, it's just zeros. You're just adding zeros. But I've gotten close because I'm like, it is not just adding zeros. <laughs> way more. Oh, well, I mean, it's the bank accounts. It's the, the bank accounts you can't even look at because your property management company doesn't want you taking anything out of it. Or you can look at it, but you can't do anything to it. And mm-hmm. so like when our last property management company dissolved, yes, we've already gone through that. <laughs> we haven't even had this thing for a year. Um, we had six figures in an account that we couldn't even touch. Mm. So I learned. And this time we have another account that that money was wired into and we're holding on to it. Unless mm. the property management account of the new property management company, unless they need some of those reserves, we're not offering it up mm-hmm. because I refuse to be in the same situation we were in at the end of July where the company was dissolving and we couldn't get our money. We needed that money to operate the asset and we couldn't even touch it. Mm-hmm. So how did you learned. manage that? How did you get through it? Well, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, So my husband and my oldest went to Philmont, which if anybody here is a Boy Scout, it's a camp in Northern New Mexico, out in like back country. There's no internet. There's no cell phone. It's way out there, right? So my world started burning down around me on July 15th. That was Jason's last day of cell phone service. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So for the next two weeks, somehow, (laughs) like it's not even somehow in my mind, I had no other option. Um, I found somebody to clean out a hoarder unit. I was up at the property all the time. Our regional was looking to find another property management company to move everybody over to. The maintenance guy didn't want to transition. So we lost our maintenance guy somewhere in there. Mm, Um, The inside sales rep. Yeah. (laughs) The inside sales rep or sales leasing agent. And I had a pretty good relationship. And she was like, Angel, where are you going? I'm following you and Jason. Um, so that one was good, but at the same time, she didn't really know what was going on and she was, she was afraid. Um, she was afraid that she was going to lose her job and be faced with a three day notice to vacate notice to vacate because when the, the previous maintenance kid, when he was let go, she was the one that had to serve him with the three day notice to vacate. Oh, wow. So she had that experience riding on her. And we just kept, we, as a GP team, we got her on the phone. We're like, look, that company does not own these apartments. We own these apartments and we're not taking your home. Yeah. Nobody, nobody is taking your home. And so, you know, we're dealing with these things that some people own, you know, they go through five, 10 assets before they ever deal with anything even close to this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we've been hammered. (laughs) in six months get it all out the way that's all just get it out the way and you and lance lance i call up lance mcgee and i'm like i'm losing my mind here 
I don't know what to do. And he's like talking me off the ledge. He's like, Angel, this is what you're going to do. You're going to forward me the credentials and I'm going to take care of this part for you. Hmm. <laughs> like, Thank you, Lance. Because <laughs> I was just like, dang. And he's like, you know, would you rather have all of this happen in this short period of time or be on a slow drip over five years? Wondering when the next shoe is going to fall, basically. Yeah. And so basically, you know, pretty much the same thing you just said, you know, don't you want to just get it all out of the way? But in, in my heart of hearts, I know that it doesn't get any easier. I don't think you just become better capable of handling it. Yeah, used to it. Yeah. Uh, what what class property uh, was the 72 unit? Um, so it's an 80s build. And so a lot of people say, oh, that's a, a lot of people say it's a C, um, mm-hmm. but it was it was very, very well maintained. I would really say it's more like a B, maybe a B minus, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's been very well maintained and the clientele is very much B, B, uh, B class residents. Okay. Yeah, sounds like a B. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, like I, I don't think assets should necessarily, I don't think the box should be that rigid because sometimes, you know. No, I agree. I don't think, I don't think the vintage is the, the end all be all. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, it's, just, it's, it's been hard. Um, learned a whole lot of lessons. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're in multifamily and you're officially a syndicator. And I mean, you've always been an investor, uh, passive and unknowingly active. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's different? Like, is your day different? Do you wake up and do things different because now you're an investor and not um, tied to any, any business or? Um, there's, there's things that are different. I, I am not that 5 a.m. miracle morning person. <laughs> I'm the, you know, 10 a.m. bleary eyed. Where's my stinking coffee? Um, <laughs> just let me wake up, um, kind of person, mm-hmm. but you know, from 10 AM to 8 PM, 9 PM, 10 PM last night, we had a meeting at eight 30. It's my time. And I get to do what I love to do because this is what I love to do. Mm-hmm. I love to network and talk to people and, you know, speak on, speak in different rooms and speak on stages. If I were close to any. I'm two hours away. Thank you, Zoom. Um, you made my life a lot easier. <laughs> um, but it's, this is what I love. And I love learning about people and really learning new techniques on how to remember things mm-hmm. um, and yeah. just ways to, to keep the continuity of story going. Mm-hmm. Because one of, the, one of the other cool things I've learned in all this is it isn't necessarily that you're following up with somebody every two weeks, that you got them in the... You I mean you're never gonna call somebody and be like, hey, you popped up in my CRM that I need to be calling you today. Um, but that really is what it is. You yeah. know, a lot of that following up is because your spreadsheet or your CRM is saying, Hey, <laughs> this person's uh orange today or this person's red today, you better call them up. And that's I can follow up with people, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, it feels forced. Whereas if you can remember some of the conversations that you ended your last, your last face-to-face encounter or your last phone call, then it's more of that, like, okay, your childhood best friend, you haven't talked to him for a decade. When you finally get back together with him, you're going to miss a beat. No, it's going to be like, there hasn't been a moment that's passed. Right. And that's what I try to do with the people that I have relationships with 
is remember where we were at so that we still have that continuity of story. And it's mm -hmm. like, we haven't missed a beat. That mm. you're a great capital raiser. <laughs> I, I mean, we done it once. <laughs> <laughs> we, we raised a million dollars our first time, but. Wow. How, how stressful was that? Did that, did that flow a little bit? Hardest thing I've then? ever done. <laughs> yeah, no, you, we, we thought it was going to be easier because we know tons of people or I know tons of people. And then Jason knows numbers. Mm -hmm. um, and so we thought it would be easier, um, but it's, it's, it's easy till it's not. <laughs> well, and I was calling everybody, you know, I, the best advice I got for like how to do the cold call part of it was from mm -hmm. Jeffrey Donis. You know, that little 18 year old, is he 19 now? Maybe he's he, 20. Uh, I think he's 21 and he was on <laughs> three weeks ago, three or four weeks. Yeah, was he okay? He's, he's yeah, so still, is it still killing it? Is it's Jeffrey and Kenneth that are the twins, and Kerwin is the older one? I just know it's three of them. I don't try to put them. <laughs> I, I thought the two K's were the twins, but the two K's are not the twins. I think Jeffrey and Kenneth are the twins, and Kerwin's the older one. Okay. Um, but anyway, so I'll Jeffrey, take your word for that. So Jeffrey's talking, and he, I want to say he was, he was, oh, and it didn't matter how old he was, he's young. Yes, um, he and he was talking about the double dial. What the heck is the double dial? It's like, you call. If they don't answer, hang up. Wait 30 seconds to a minute and call them back. Most of the time, they're going to answer on that second call. Mm -hmm. So I was nervous. Because usually means emergency. Well, or, man, this, who is this number? That must be important. Mm -hmm. And so I was nervous at first. And I was like, but he, he'll tell you, he makes like a hundred calls a day or 200 calls a day. It's like a game to him. He's like, how many he's calls can I me. make? He's yeah, called me. I mean, he's like, how many calls can I make? Let me see. I'm going to beat my record. It's like this yeah. personal thing he's got with himself. Right. Yeah. And I, I was like, you know, you can learn from anybody. Yeah. And I refuse to believe that me at, I guess I was 43 at the time or 44 that I have all this massive knowledge that this kid, that I, this kid couldn't possibly teach me anything. Yeah. And so I took what he said and I added a little bit to it. Mm -hmm. I do a double dial. If they don't pick up on the second one, that's when you have to leave your message. If you forget mm -hmm. to leave a voicemail, do not call back. Three calls means you're psycho. <laughs> you got to remember to leave that voice. Only three. <laughs> no, you call twice. Um, if you forget to leave the voicemail, you're just going to have to leave it for tomorrow. Um, but then what mm -hmm. you can do, and what I do is I follow up that voicemail with a text and I say, Hey, I just left you a voicemail and this was what the voicemail was about because not everybody listens to their voicemail. I have visual voicemail. <laughs> I do too. And I only listen to the ones I want. Yep. <laughs> so I don't listen to all of them. And so that was why I felt like by putting it in the voicemail and the text, it took care of the people that weren't going to listen to the voicemail and for the people that aren't going to read the text and listen to the voicemail but either yeah. way you get extra touches yeah and so i would do that and then i would follow up again give it some time and i i literally have a spiral notebook that i wrote the names down on <laughs> so it's not crm yeah I, I got the original going um we're lucky that i put it in a spiral it's, and it's not written down on like the backs of envelopes <laughs> i'm really bad at putting stuff on the backs of envelopes well, my wife too so, along with that, noodles yeah but i mean that was just that was how i got started and then 
Frank was like, hey, I'm going to race faster than you. And that's the thing about Frank. Mm. I was like, you're not going to raise more than me. He's like, yeah, I am. Now, I'm not going to say how much of his own money he put in. <laughs> Did he cheat? Um, which, yeah, he cheated. Um, he, well, not really, but it was more, he wanted to make sure that we got that deal across the finish line. And yeah. without Frank, I don't think it would have happened. Yeah. Um, we had to backfill him. And that was how we hit a million was because he got us across the finish line and then mm -hmm. we just kept raising and we backfilled him until we were done. Mm. So two questions. One, um, do you buy the majority of your list or is it organic? And this is, you know, first deal. Cause you know, I understand things evolve and change as you become uh, more seasoned, but originally uh, where did most of those numbers and information come from? My head. Well, I mean, as far as the investors, <laughs> the investors that you call. They were from my head. It took me seven days, six to eight hours a day to get it from my head into the database. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> wow. It was 147 people, I think. Mm -hmm. And that was because I just stopped. Um, so more from what family and friends? Um, so sometimes it was, we'd have a stack of business cards mm. and between the business cards, if I, if I, when I saw the business card, if I couldn't see the person in my head, I don't mm. see the face, but I see like the person and I mm. see like little bits of like little bits of information around them, like little writings. Um, mm. if I couldn't place them from that, I might look on Facebook or LinkedIn to determine if I, what I could remember. Um, but most of the people like Gail McCarthy on our GP team. The first time I ever met her, it was at BEC 2020 in Keystone. She had on a dark mauve purple suit and little heels. She's like six foot tall and she just like just confidence just pours off of her. <laughs> like I remember the room we were in the first time I ever met her and I had no clue who she was. Mm. Um, and so it's like when I'm when I'm pulling those people out of my head, those are the memories that I'm pulling. Yeah, I remember the first conversation we had. Um, there's things that I remember about people like I, I know that there's certain people that when they go and look at a property, when they're done, the team goes and finds a random barbecue place because they're going to they want to post pictures of the barbecue place on social media and say, hey, we found another good barbecue place. Um, I, I know people that after various sports tournaments with their kids, they go they have like traditions where they they go to a different kind of restaurant or they go out to like a local park or it's those weird things that I remember. And mm -hmm. so that, I think it gives me an edge. And the thing about it was like, I never knew that was abnormal because it is my normal. Mm -hmm. And yes, so I just, gift. yeah. Do you think being in Wichita Falls gave you a, a slight disadvantage in raising money? I mean, it could have. Um, like being in Austin or Dallas or New York. <laughs> so that's kind of one of the other pluses though, because I will drive to DFW for a meetup. Mm. Um, like Nick, Nick DeLeon has a meetup, like usually the third-ish Tuesday of the month mm -hmm. and I'll drive down for that. And it's like, I might get there at seven and leave it midnight, leave it 11, leave it one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I'll come back home. Um, I also go to at least Landry has one. Sometimes it's on the same night. When it's on the same night, I start at hers, then go to Nick's, mm -hmm. and then go. 
Mm, <laughs> so I can around. pull two out of the bag. Um, wow. But, you know, could it have been a disadvantage? Maybe, but the property is here in Wichita Falls and we've been investing here for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So we know the market really well. We know the clientele. We know when you can push and when you can't, as far as like rent goes and what are some of the best ways to find alternative sources of income. And I feel like we have a better connection with, with this area because it's our backyard. Um, and that was helpful. And then the other thing was helpful was like, we had investors that they really just wanted to see us succeed. And so it wasn't the numbers. It wasn't the asset. It was, they liked us mm-hmm. and they just wanted to support us. And that is seriously and honestly, the reason why they invested with us. I did a interview a podcast with um, uh, Albertini. It's, it's easier to say his full name than his nickname. I think his nickname is Teeny. And yeah, same thing. He found um, a very small multifamily in North Carolina and um, met the owners, had dinner with the owners and wrote the contract. I think the next day, only a thousand dollars, you know, earnest money. He extended the contract three times. Um, and it was just cause it was more of an unspoken thing. Um, but you can tell that they just wanted him to be successful. And uh, Albertini is, he's 25. He's, he's another Jeffrey. He's very young and, and you know, being successful at this. So yeah, that, the, those relationships and curating those relationships are very, very important. And I'm taking all the notes from you because you're amazing. <laughs> Jello. So what, what's next? So you have one now and you said, have you gotten a second one now or you're working on a second one? Um, we've been looking for some, we've been looking at some second ones. Um, we're actually looking at an RV park right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not in our backyard. <laughs> and so I'm mm-hmm. like, cause I've gotten kind of spoiled. Um, <laughs> I had a, a friend of mine that she had her property up for sale in DFW. And she was like, Hey, what are those numbers looking like from Jason? I'm like, Oh, I don't know. And I was like, she's like, are you sure you're not interested? And I'm like, oh, it's two hours away. But well, you drive I'm, two hours for your meetups. I know. Right. <laughs> but it was just like, I don't know. There's, there've been times when like, uh, at one point we were going to lose our liability insurance because mm-hmm. the, um, rail to rail on the stairways was more than four inches. Now mm-hmm. the County and the state, it meets whatever those guidelines are. And so we were supposed to be able to get, I guess like a grandfather waiver or whatever. Um, and they just finally said, no, we're not going to do that. And it was the last day. They're like, you have to have it in today or we're canceling you. So I drove my happy butt on over to the property because it's 15 minutes away. And Mm -hmm. I was there the whole day until we got a welder from another property. And we literally went, well, we sent the maintenance guy. He went to Lowe's or Home Depot and picked up tons of rebar. And we were literally cutting rebar and welding it in between the current railings Mm. to get it, to get it up to code. And I was taking pictures and sending them to insurance. And because I was able to prove that we were in progress, we didn't mm-hmm. get canceled. Wow. And then like with the hoarder unit, it was like, 
I was able to find somebody and I just went up there every day and made sure that there was progress being made. And those, I mean, those are the things that if I were in another state, I wouldn't be able to do. That, 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 the hoarder, that sounds like it's a whole story in itself. Oh, you know it. I love to tell stories and I got tons of them. <laughs> Maybe we'll start that, uh, the, the story, the horror stories of multifamily. I tell you, I will never, ever, ever call my house a hoarder house again, ever. We just got a lot of stuff. Cause that was, that was a whole nother experience. Mm, on, on a clinical level, huh? It was, Yes. Yes. I called Frank the first day I left there and I was almost in tears. I was just like, I can't believe that. I can't believe that somebody could live like that. Yeah. It's, it's a medical condition, a mental health condition. And yep. Frank couldn't believe that I'd been in it my whole life and had never seen one. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so what's the goal? Um, do you have a certain amount of units? Is 10,000, 100,000 units, or is a certain asset under management? What, what is it, or is there a target? Um, there's not necessarily a financial target or an amount. Um, there's some goals that we have. Uh, we want to create a foundation. Um, our son has a really rare genetic condition. When he was born in 2010, there were 742 cases in the world. Um, wow. Yeah. And now they, I think the guest or the estimations are about 1400 in the world, maybe mm-hmm. a little more. Um, and so, you know, geneticists, specialists, nobody can really give us any answers. Yeah. And so our goal is to establish a foundation that can give $100,000 every year from an endowment um, to the foundation that does the majority of the research on what he has. It's called Duke 15 Q. It doesn't have a cute name like cancer or diabetes. It's <laughs> literally what it is. It's do 15 Q because the genetic anomaly is there's a duplication um, of a piece of the 15th chromo- chromosome. It's from like 11.3 Q um, to 13.1 Q on the long arm of the 15th chromosome. Mm-hmm. And J- Anson has that piece plus a little bit in the front and a little bit in the back on an extra mm-hmm. chromosome. So kind of like a little step stool. Um, it's wow. not a full-on extra chromosome like with Down syndrome. It's just a little partial. Um, you know, he's the way that it affected him is he has profound autism. He's 12. He's still in diapers. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got maybe 150 words. He doesn't understand safety. Um, self-care is not something that he's probably ever going to have a handle on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the whole desire with the foundation was when we got his diagnosis, nobody could really tell us anything and it was a big what if and it's hard during those what ifs there was gosh for weeks all I did was research because Mm -hmm. there was no change in it the only power I could get was in studying about it and so that was what I did and with that foundation we want to be able to give families some kind of relief whether it's you know let us get a week of your groceries or let us help you go on a little trip let us do something for you yeah that gives you a little peace during this tumultuous time because you may look okay on the outside but your insides are dying yeah your insides are are just screaming and they're it's like being torn it's like i don't even know how to explain it. it's so hard mm-hmm. and the other thing we want to do is we want to have enough generational wealth so that our daughters 
never have to worry about anything but loving Anson. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to have to spend any of their own money or any time worrying about how they're going to pay for his medical care. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure all of that is covered so that all they have to do is love him. And that's it. Wow. This is, that's amazing. And, and you're kind of the pioneer, um, I would assume, of trying to figure out what, what also works with his condition and things to look for. Yeah, that's powerful. I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm, I'm glad that you're in a space where you are able to make a, a difference and impact in other people's lives. Well, it's, that's, that's you amazing. know, I think that's one of the drivers. You know, we had Anson in 2010. We got his diagnosis when he was 19 months old. And when the bills started rolling in, I mean, his therapy, one of his therapies alone, his ABA is like a hundred, $120,000 a year. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really, it wasn't, we weren't in ABA yet, but we were spending 50, 75,000 a year in speech, OT and PT. And then going to his specialist at Cook's because he'd be going to Cook Children's all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was one of the big drivers behind why Jason was looking for other other real estate investments yeah because his dad had amassed about 60 70 units of residential multifamily so jason already understood the power of multifamily at the residential mm -hmm. scale and so i think he saw that and he started researching all of these other areas and possibilities and that landed us in multifamily mm. wow so what what is the the relief or the release for you guys now that things are starting to change what are you providing with yourself or looking forward to in the future uh, maybe vacation or a trip or a thing car is there anything that you're like we deserve this because we work really hard you know i think we actually may have taken our first family vacation last weekend wow tell me about um it. Yeah. So um, my friend Camilla has, I remember her posting about having a, ca a cabin in Broken Bow. Where and is so, that? No, I've heard about Broken Bow. Mm -hmm. Broken Bow, Oklahoma. I have heard. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Camilla Jeffs posted, she was on Facebook or LinkedIn that they were, they were like building the, not building it, but they were fixing up this cabin. They had mm -hmm. gotten a short-term rental in Broken Bow. And so I texted her and I was like, Hey, do you know if your cabin's available next weekend or if it's available soon? She was like, I don't know, but here's the website. And so, you know, it, I didn't ask for a discount. I didn't do any of that. I just knew that That's she had a cabin. Do. Yeah. I just knew she had a cabin and I got on that website and lo and behold, it was available um, the weekend before the week of the 17th. Cause Anson was supposed to, his first day of school was uh, August 17th. And um, we were driving back that day. <laughs> <laughs> so so we pulled that rich kid stunt you know oh i'm going on vacation we just didn't start him the first day of school <laughs> right. Right. but it was amazing we we drove to broken bow on sunday and we went to the grocery store fended for ourselves sunday night um we got like cereal and things like that to get through breakfast and lunch and then we hired a private chef to come Ooh. on monday night and tuesday okay. night it was amazing Basically, right. it was like a little, did you ever, do you ever remember seeing Mario Batali, the redheaded yeah. Italian guy with his Crocs and they, he would have his friends at the table and they'd all be drinking wine and talking while he was cooking. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so it was kind of like that, 
And so I'm my, it's me, my 14 year old, my husband, our five and seven year old kind of running around crazy. Anson was in the bunk room, which is amazing. They built the bunks themselves. They're built in, they're gorgeous. Um, Mm. And Anson was in there watching his iPad and we just got to ask him questions. And Mm -hmm. so it was like having a cooking class Mm -hmm. and, and there was the first night we did like this chocolate creme brulee and Mm. he left his short, he left his torch and Mm -hmm. two cooked creme brulees that hadn't been brulee yet, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. So that, so that we could try later to put the sugar on them and then do the crispy thing. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what to call it. It was so good. Like I'm I'm like salivating like Pavlov's dog. (laughs) It was so good, but it was like, to have that experience and then we came home the next day and it was so funny because my my seven-year-old's like can we have a chef at home mommy I was like girl don't you go to school saying that stuff (laughs) that is so pretentious (laughs) but it was it was those experiences that we would never have been able to have if we weren't in the space we might not have even known that those kinds of things existed Mm -hmm. if we weren't in the space it can be a very dangerous path. I've, 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 I have friends in that space. Uh, they're kind of in real estate, but they, they're in other things. Um, and yeah, I've had, they used to, I used to go over once a week and the, the chef would always be there and cook for me and just the, the trips and the, Hey, we're going to such and such. And it's like, you're doing what? And, and yeah, so I totally understand, but it also gives you um, it gives you a taste of what you could have if you put your efforts in the right place. Because working hard is just not enough. Because you can work hard in a factory, you can work hard at a W-2. And if your W-2 pay, pays $60,000 a year, working hard is going to get you $60,000 a year. But working hard and making double phone calls will get you to raise a million dollars to put into your first property. And then, you know, that goes into the next property, 1031 into the next property and so on and so forth. And then before you know it, you're getting, you know, mailbox money because you have, it seems like everyone who's successful kind of ends up at class A's for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, I haven't gotten there yet, but um, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's, you know, less work, you know, halfway decent returns and the acquisition fees and stuff. And the uh, uh, the core well, newer assets are probably less things that break. Yeah, and a lot more money to go with it. So, uh, but yeah, and I, I really appreciate you sharing sharing that story. And I challenge the people who are watching and who are listening to uh, go explore things that you might not ever um, be able to indulge in. Um, a little bit further than just, you know, flying on a jet. It might be having a chef at the house. It might be um, as simple for some people as having a maid at the house and cleaning. What do you mean I don't have to wash my own clothes? There are so many things. And these are the things that the average person knows about that is, you know, kind of accessible to us. If, you know, we make a little bit of money and we put our money in the right place and we have a little bit of disposable cash, but there are things that People just don't know about. I have a friend who has a, a black card, and the stuff that they tell me that the people in American Express or Centurion card that that they'll do for you is like mind blowing. Like they did what? Like they bought you tickets that were sold out, and they got you, you know, backstage passes, and you know. So um, I challenge the listeners and the viewers to 
to just indulge yourself and just allow yourself to dream for a few seconds because sometimes that dream um, can get added to your why and that makes your why that much bigger. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I used to teach, um, when I was teaching middle school, it was at a high poverty, very ethnic school, you know, 40% Hispanic or 45% Hispanic, 40% black, 15% mixed white and Asian. And I had a lot of boys and girls in my classes, especially the boys were like, I'm gonna be a football star. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, baby. So let's talk some statistics here. <laughs> Let me show you the numbers. And, and, I, but, and the other thing I had on my side was when I was at Baylor, I was an athletic tutor. And one Super of the guys fair. I tutored, yeah, one of the guys I tutored went pro. Mm. And what I'll tell you about Ethan is Ethan was a 360 degree athlete. He mm. cared about what he ate. He cared about his sleep. He cared about how he worked out. He cared about his school. He cared about the whole package. Mm. And that's a different kind of athlete. Mm-hmm. And I had another guy that went, he went pro in baseball and it, they just do it different. Yeah. And you see I would imagine him. that Ethan was the same way in high school, probably the same way his whole life. Yeah. And so I would tell these boys, I'd be like, you know, it's like 0.08%, but maybe honey, um, yeah. definitely one of the boys in one of my classes, he will play, he'll play college ball. So long as he doesn't go down the same path as some of his relatives, mm-hmm. he will absolutely play college ball, maybe pro football or basketball. Cause mm-hmm. he's, he's good, man. He's good. He's good. But um, when we would talk about money, you know, they say, I'm going to go buy me this. I'm going to go buy me that. I was like, no, you're not. Yeah, I am. Miss. I'm like, no, honey, <laughs> you're going to pay people to do the things you don't want to do. Right. He's like, what? He's like, well, you know, I hate cleaning my house. So every other week I got somebody that comes to my house and help like does my laundry and puts my laundry away and cleans my house mm-hmm. and they were like what but I got real close to my students and like we we like luxury watches and so when I got my Rolex I, my kids it was really cool they're seventh graders and I will never forget that one of my boys looked at me and he said miss you deserve that wow oh right here right here <laughs> oh and when I got it like I took it off I let them try it on one boy tried to go to the front door I'm like where are you gonna fence that you ain't gonna be able to sell that nowhere. <laughs> and the rest of the boys are like, come sit down, man. <laughs> but I would, I would share that, th- those things with them. And like, when I would go fly those little biscotti cookies or whatever, I brought in a yeah. fact for all of my students. We had to break some of them in half, but all of my students had six classes and I brought enough back. I, asked, I told the stewardess, I was like, Hey, I got some kids that may never, ever, ever get to fly on a plane. That is so amazing. Angel, you are just, oh, wow. <laughs> Because I never, I see those cookies all, I'm like, oh, I don't like these. I like the ones with the, the was it the peanut butter or the chocolate in the middle? I never get they're, those. They're Biscoff. I, they're Biscoff. That's what they are. Biscoff. Well, and then it turned out that they sold them at the Dollar Tree and I, it totally deflated me. <laughs> because I've been loving those Biscoff cookies, right? And I, I was so happy that the stewardess gave me like sleeves of them to share with my students. Wow. Um, but it was, my students knew my heart. Yeah. And that I wanted to share that with them. And that was another really cool thing. I have a friend that came to my meetup today and he was like, man, that was the most amazing thing. When I told people I wasn't working anymore, they, they congratulated me. Mm -hmm. And most of the time when you say, I don't have a W2 anymore, people are like, oh my God, what are you going to do? How are you going to make money? And he was like, it was, it was the most amazing thing to have people congratulating me when the rest of the people that are supposed to be my friends and then my family 
are wondering, you know, what the H I'm going to be doing now. Right. When I'm surrounded by all these people that are congratulating me from, for going after my own dreams. It's a different family. It's a different kind of family. Mm -hmm. And my students were that for me. I could tell my students my dreams and they wouldn't laugh at me. Yeah. They wouldn't say, miss, you can't do that. Yeah. It was more, Hey miss, you deserve that. Wow. So give us, give us a one or two, um, like you haven't given us enough gold nuggets, <laughs> but what, what gold nuggets can you drop us on us and, and, and bless our life with before, uh, before I see if anybody has questions for you? Um, man, I don't know. Just I hate saying this one because I feel like I burned some people, but don't tell people that you're authentic. Just be you. Mm -hmm. because when you are you, everything else shines through. Mm -hmm. I have a friend, uh, me and my stories. <laughs> it's funny, my partner and I, we, we trade stories consistently <laughs> all day long. I say something, he's like, yeah, and what happened to me? <laughs> uh, but that's the brotherhood we have. But that is, that is so significant. Um, and I usually don't tell stories too much because I like the, you know, whoever I'm interviewing to, to share their, their gifts and stories and experiences. But I think this is powerful. When I was 19 years old, um, so I've always wanted to be and been an entrepreneur. I've had business cards since I was like seven or eight years old with my name on it, just to say I have business cards because my dad owned a construction company. But at the age of 19, uh, I met a young man, and I think at the time he was a DJ, um, and he was a very rugged dude, like very, very street. And he had contracts with, um, I know Hennessy, and I think a few other major brands, and he was having very high-level conversations, and my mom worked at um, what, which was then Corgan's and is now Bailey Banks and Biddle. And she would take me to, to work with her. So I grew up meeting astronauts and meeting all these like amazing people. And that's what crafted me into the person I am. So I know you wouldn't really never see me not in a suit. I don't really have any clothes. I have one pair of jeans. So me meeting this young man and I'm like, you're going into the meeting with a hoodie on. And this was 2002, 2003, before that was culturally uh, acceptable. Before I'm that was like success? Yeah, I'm like, you're going into this meeting with, and I remember specifically it was Hennessy with the hoodie on and, just, and you, this big old bag. And he was like, yeah. I was like, you don't think they're gonna look at you a certain way? Or he said, no, I just, I'm just me. He said, because, because I'm so authentic in who I am and I don't try to portray something that I'm not, because this is authentically me. Like when nobody's here, I still have these clothes on. Like my wife will tell you, I only like to talk about business. You know, it doesn't make for the greatest marriage in the world, but you know, she, she's kind of the same way as well. And she just got her MBA. So I'm kind of dragging her into the entrepreneur field. Um, but when I understood that, a person just wants to talk to and meet the real you, it changes the game totally. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's different. <laughs> and it's so funny that you're talking about like your suits and stuff. I'm like, I'm jeggings and t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, you just it's just it's just about being you. And I think that's you can reach more people and communicate far better when you're being you. Um, because you have an amazing personality, you're bubbly, you're very lighthearted. And I think if you tried to be serious, it it wouldn't really work. It would it would seem like you're forcing something. Yeah, and I um <laughs> when when we went to BEC 2020 at Keystone, I was like, okay, Jason, we got this summit coming up. We're fixed to be our brand. You sure you want to wear that bow tie? Um, <laughs> he loves those dang bow ties. He ties them himself. They're not clip-ons. They're not the ones that you hook the little hook around the band. They are mm -hmm. straight up tie. And he's like, nope, this is what I want to do. I'm like, all right, well, I'm wearing jeans and t-shirt. <laughs> and with the purple. And I was talking to Matt Faircloth, I guess, this past February. And he's like, you know, that's your brand now. You ready to always have purple and blue hair? I was like, I think I am. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's um yeah you just be comfortable in who and what you are and in your own shoes the the people that are meant to be around you are gonna be around you mm -hmm. and and honestly being a little polarizing is not a bad thing that way i mean people are either with you or they're not yeah um and you don't have to worry about that. Let me walk on eggshells with this middle of the road group. And maybe I can sway some of them over. Maybe somebody will invest with me someday, mm -hmm. but it's almost better to have a small, super loyal group than to have a large group of wishy-washy people. Mm -hmm. I agree. You have been amazing. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Far outdone yourself. Please join all the rest of my, my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sprinkle your your amazing dust I, I appreciate you i appreciate your your spirit and your uh your kind heartedness thank you so i don't know how to um, take compliments i'm sorry <laughs> um does anybody have any questions before we wrap this up it looks like we went through a lot of people a lot of people came in and, and left and came back <laughs> um but does anybody have any questions before we let miss mrs uh, Angel, go for the night. Three, two, one. <laughs> All right, so no questions. Uh, I appreciate uh, everybody listening. And um, so this will be everywhere. So it'll be on YouTube. Um, the full video will be on YouTube. The audio will be on Google Podcasts, iTunes, Deezer, uh, it's a stitcher uh, uh it's like 30 different podcast sites so if you really if you just google investors gallery something's going to pop up so i will send you that i will send you the uh, all the links um and then it's also going to be on our website and you'll have your uh, a short bio under your picture and your full video um interview and i will be sharing this and sharing your um your magic dust to the world. And I can't wait for us to do another podcast. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And I appreciate it. Good night, Angel. And I will talk to you very soon. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.